0: Well, Happy New Year to all of you who are joining us online, as well as those of you who are meeting here together at Central Campus, along with others of you meeting together at one of our other campuses in Airdrie, Bridgeland, Bearspaw, and South Calgary. You know, no intelligent person would ever travel across unknown terrain without a compass and a map, or if it has cell phone coverage, without a smartphone and Siri. If it is a long, arduous, and potentially life-threatening venture, no sane person would launch out without first trying to get as much information and wisdom from those who have been there and done that. And yet, my observation is, is that far too many people, bright people, Very nice people journey through life without a moral compass or a fixed point of reference, a true north to follow and to live by. They question everything, which is okay, but never put their confidence in anything. And sadly, like the philosopher Socrates, in the end, the only thing that they know for sure is that they don't know anything for sure. Now I, along with millions of Christians worldwide, believe that all the essentials of what we need to know about God and about life are found in the Bible. We believe it is God's truth and provides answers to life's deepest questions. However, many people are skeptical about the Bible, and they wonder whether it's true and trustworthy, whether the words that we find in the Scriptures are truly from God. Well, if that is where you're at, then I'm glad that you're joining us for this series because I want to introduce you to some of the major evidences for the validity of the Bible, and I hope and pray that you will give serious consideration to them. Now, last time I gave what I believe is the most important evidence for the validity of the Bible, and that is the testimony of Jesus, which, by the way, you can access online. The supreme reason that Christians believe the Bible is the Word of God is because we believe and trust in Jesus Christ, God the Son, who not only regularly quoted and consistently communicated respect for the Old Testament scriptures and endorsed them as being the authoritative word of God, but he also deliberately, very intentionally, made provision for the writing of the New Testament by appointing empowering and authorizing his apostles to do so in the same way that God the Father appointed prophets to write the Old Testament Scriptures. The Apostle Peter recognized this when he said in 2 Peter chapter 3, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets referring to the Old Testament Scriptures and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles, referring to Christ authorizing his apostles to write the New Testament. Now, if you believe that Jesus was just an ordinary man, then obviously his testimony endorsing the Scriptures doesn't mean much, if anything, at all to you. But if Jesus is Lord and God, as he claimed to be, then his affirmation that the Bible is truthful, trustworthy, the very Word of God, will completely change not only how you view and read the Bible, but also how seriously you will follow and obey it. That's the first evidence for the validity of the Bible, the testimony of Jesus Christ. A second evidence for the validity of the Bible is the testimony of time. There are those who believe the Bible is an invention of man, full of myths and legends. And yet the idea that the Bible is the product of a human conspiracy holds little water because how do you conspire, humanly speaking, to write a book over a 1600-year period, over 40 generations, on three continents, in three different languages, by 40 different authors from every walk of life, from servants to kings, from fishermen to doctors, from poets to military generals, and end up with a book that has a unified theme and speaks to hundreds of issues with an internal consistency that is nothing short of amazing. There is no chance of human conspiracy here. The first writers, if you think about it, had no way of knowing what others would write centuries later. This type of unity can only be explained by the miracle-working hand of God as pointed out in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. In addition to this, not only is the Bible the most published, the most translated, and the best-selling book in all of history, it has also persevered despite extreme opposition. The Bible has been the most despised, the most disputed, the most dissected, the most debated book in all of history. It has been banned, it has been burned, it has been torn to pieces by kings and emperors and rulers of government and religions down through time. If you had lived in Rome in 300 A.D., And were caught with the Bible, you would have been put to death by decree of the Roman emperor. At that time, thousands of Christians were slain and every confiscated Bible was burned. Millions of Christians have died because the Bible was found in their possession, which they cherished, they refused to give up, even though it was illegal to have one. In fact, it's still illegal to have a Bible in some countries of the world. Such a widespread book would not have survived down through time as the ultimate truth source for Christians if it was unreliable, if it was filled with untruths and contradictions and inconsistencies. Surely by now, someone would have clearly documented proof not accusations and speculations that have been dispelled but solid undeniable proof that the Bible should be retired of its popularity and yet up to now anyone who has tried to disprove the Bible has not succeeded and in many cases has become a believer in Christ based on the sheer weight of the evidence and that is because the Bible originated in the, did not originate in the mind of man, but in the mind of God. Christians believe the Bible continues to survive because it is the truth. And even if you try to destroy it, the truth will always remain the truth. Even if you don't believe it, doesn't mean it isn't the truth. And folks, that is why it has stood the test of time. That is why there is no book that has changed more lives than the Bible. It has positively altered relationships, marriages, families, and the ethics, the values, the worldview of hundreds of millions of people. You know, Voltaire, the famous French philosopher of the 18th century, He attacked the Bible by saying this A hundred years from now, the Bible will be swept from existence and you will hear no more of Christianity. Well, obviously, that didn't happen. But here's the rest of the story. When Voltaire died, his estate was auctioned off. And guess who purchased it? A Bible society. They purchased his house and his printing press, and they used it to produce Bibles, which were circulated all over the world. God has a great sense of humor, does he not? But his promise in Isaiah 40 stands true. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God endures forever. And Jesus added to this in Matthew 24, saying, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. It is truly a unique book, a book that has stood the test of time. Which brings me to call on a third witness Christians believe in the validity and reliability of the Bible because of the testimony of Jesus, the testimony of time, and also the testimony of archaeology. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus is approaching Jerusalem on a cult. He's greeted by a large crowd of people who adore him. In fact, they're spreading their garments on the road ahead of him. And they're joyfully praising God for all of the miracles they saw and witnessed Jesus perform. And they shout aloud these words Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. Some of the religious leaders watching this became annoyed. Because the crowd was obviously worshiping Jesus. And so they told Jesus to rebuke these people and to have them stop saying what they were saying about him. And I want you to notice how Jesus responded to them. He said this, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, even though Jesus most likely intended this to be a figurative statement, the fact is, the stones are crying out the truth of God's word today. I mean, have you ever wondered why the Bible is filled with so many details that seem unrelated to its central message? Why it includes long lists of cities and Places and kings and genealogies. Why not save some parchment paper and hard drive space and just record the essential message? Well, God always has his purposes. And so even if we don't understand his reasons now, we can know that God will reveal his purposes sooner or later. And we're seeing this played out now with respect to the scriptures. For example, prior to the 19th century, in what is often referred to as the age of reason or the age of enlightenment, skeptics severely criticized the Bible for containing a litany of so-called facts, including people, places, battles, and dates, that were not based in reality. In other words, they could not be found in secular historical records. This fueled the mindset that the Bible consisted primarily of myths and legends. And as a result, a growing number of people began to dismiss the Bible and walk away from the Christian faith. But then the stones began to cry out archaeologists began to dig beneath the surface of the earth in the land of the Bible called Israel today. They found ancient cities and civilizations they never knew existed. Cities not recorded in secular history, but recorded in the Bible. As these archaeological digs continued, over time, people and places that skeptics believed were mistakes in the Bible were actually confirmed to be real and true. In fact, many things that were questioned by scholars in the 18th and the 19th century have since been verified as factual. In a few cases where the secular historical record and the biblical record disagreed, archeological discoveries have consistently proven the biblical account to be accurate. Let me give you some examples that I've gotten from various sources, including Drs. John Dixon, James Kennedy, John McRae, and Paul Little. For example, one of the nations the Israelites had dealings with was the Hittites. Not to be confused at all with the Mennonites, okay? The Hittites are mentioned in 41 chapters of the Bible. While historians were never able to find any trace of the existence of a people group called the Hittites. And for years, critics used this as an example of how the Bible lacked historical credibility. However, this was laid to rest by Dr. Hugo Winkler when he went on a dig in an area where the Hittites were believed to have lived. In that dig, he discovered over 40 of their cities, including their capital, along with a number of monuments describing their activities. Example number two. Historians believe that Abraham's home city of Ur did not exist. Well, an archaeological dig not only discovered the ancient city of Ur, but one of the columns that they unearthed had the inscription Abram etched on it, which you may remember was Abraham's original name when he actually lived in the city of Ur before God called him and changed his name to Abraham as part of the covenant that he made with him. Or consider this. In Daniel 5, Belshazzar is referred to as the last king of Babylon. And yet this was nowhere to be found in the Babylonian records. In fact, all known Babylonian records listed Nabonidus as the last king. And again, critics saw this as a clear-cut evidence that the Bible was wrong. However, in 1956, archaeologists unearthed three stones that contained the inscribed information that solved the problem. See, based on that discovery, it seems what really happened was King Nabonidus, he left Babylon for 10 years. He went to Arabia. We don't know why he did that, and why for so long. I'm guessing it was probably to pursue a woman there. Although, let it be noted, that is pure speculation on my part. But anyways, he was gone for 10 years. And while he was gone, he appointed his son, Belshazzar, to rule as king in his place. And that was during the time Of Daniel, which is why the Bible refers to Belshazzar being king rather than Nabonidus. Another example, for years critics claimed King David never existed because there was no evidence of his reign. But then in 1993, archaeologists found an inscription bearing the phrase, House of David King of Israel. The writing was dated 9th century BC, only 100 years after David's reign. In 1994, scholar Andre Lemaire, he reported in the Biblical Archaeological Review that there'd been another find concerning King David. It was a Moabite stone on which was etched the house of David. Again, the stones cried out, and confirmed the biblical account that King David was king of Israel. Now these findings have had a significant life-changing impact on secular archeologists. Dr. W. F. Albright, late professor emeritus of John Hopkins University, has written, there can be no doubt that archaeology has confirmed the substantial historicity of Old Testament tradition. Dr. Miller Burrow of Yale University he wrote this. On the whole archaeological work has unquestionably strengthened confidence in the reliability of the scriptural record. Archaeology has in many cases Refuted the views of modern critics. This is a real contribution and not to be minimized. Now, archaeology has also added much credibility to the New Testament. Sir William Ramsay, he was an atheist, he was a son of atheists. He got his PhD from Oxford and he gave his whole life to archaeology. And he set out for the Holy Land determined to disprove the book of Acts, which gives an account of the early church and is filled with significant number of details. Well, after 25 years of archaeological investigation, he was incredibly impressed by the accuracy of Dr. Luke in his writing of the book of Acts. Well, the day came when Ramsey declared to the world that the book of Acts was exact, down to minute details. And also, that he himself was now a loyal follower of Jesus Christ. In John chapter five, the Apostle John makes reference to a pool in Jerusalem that is surrounded by five covered colonnades, a pool in which people would go in and be healed. Now again, critics insisted that this was just a figment of John's imagination, not only because there was no evidence for such a pool, but also because pools were not built that way in that day. But then the stones cried out archaeologists eventually found the pool that John referred to, the Pool of Bethesda. And if you've ever been there, as I have, even though, like most ancient sites, it's about 20 feet below street level, it has five porticos, exactly as the Bible describes. And then just one more example. As I pointed out last time, back in the mid-1980s, a small group of scholars called the Jesus Seminar, along with Dan Brown of the Da Vinci Code several years later, these folks got a lot of press on this idea. That the idea that Jesus is God was never embraced by the early church, but it was invented in the 4th century. They claimed that Emperor Constantine wanted a God figure ruling the empire. And so he elevated Jesus from being just a good Jewish teacher to being God. To accomplish this, Constantine apparently called all the bishops of the ancient church together in A.D. 325 in what is now called the Nicene Council and essentially pressured them into agreeing to make Jesus God. Now, just to pause for a moment. It is important to note that the vast majority of theological scholars vehemently disagree with this particular theory. In part because Jesus himself, in no uncertain terms, claimed to be God, but also because the bishops who were called together at that council already believed Jesus was God. Their discussion did not center around whether Jesus was God or not. It centered around his deity, the nature of his deity. However, let's put that all aside because you see the stones have cried out with respect to that issue as well. Historian and scholar Dr. John Dixon says, archaeologists uncovered a house in the middle of Israel that had been renovated into a church that predates Emperor Constantine and the Nicene Council by more than a century. Now, I, along with a number of people from Center Street who were on a pilgrimage with me in Israel, we've been to that site, to that house, that converted church or converted house into a church. And it contains a mosaic which uh, contains the inscription dedicated to, and I quote, the God Jesus Christ. Here is clear evidence that almost 100 years before Constantine and the Council of Nicene, the early church referred to Jesus as God, a truly remarkable find. Now, while there is much in the Bible yet to be verified by archaeology, the fact is the spades of archaeologists have answered and uncovered innumerable questions and facts that confirm the Scriptures. If you've ever visited Israel, you know archaeological digs are everywhere. In fact, well over 25,000 sites have been discovered that pertain to the Bible. Records of tens of thousands of people, places, and events have been found. And here's the thing. Renowned archaeologist Dr. Nelson Glueck has made this profound statement. He has said, it may be stated categorically that no archeological discovery has ever controverted or contradicted a single properly understood biblical reference. Truly amazing. And so as we examine and continue to examine the evidence, we see it increasingly pointing in the direction that the Bible is not man's idea. It's not made up of myths and legends. No, it is in fact true, the very Word of God. And, And fellow Christians, I trust this encourages your faith today. When people say the Bible that you're reading is not historically accurate, or that it has been changed, or it's been corrupted from the original writings. I hope this message and others yet to come will serve to remind you that there is overwhelming evidence that clearly cries out that Jesus and His Word is the rock upon which we can stand. His promises are true. His teachings are true. His guidance is sure. And yes, his commands, principles, and precepts, and his warnings are given to us for our good and not to be taken lightly. Now, for those of you who are still seeking, still exploring, the Christian faith. I'm looking forward to sharing even more compelling evidence for the validity of Scripture next time. But here's the thing. Even if I could answer all of your questions, you could still choose to live like none of it is true. You know, just to give an example, scientific evidence is clear. Smoking is a hazard to your health, and yet millions still smoke. We know that exercise, even moderate exercise, is good for you, and yet many do not exercise. You see, it is one thing to know the truth, to have the evidence, it is another to embrace the truth and live it out in our lives. It is one thing to know about God. It is quite another to know God personally, to experience an authentic friendship with God in the crucible of life itself. It is one thing to believe in God. It is quite another to believe God to actually trust him and what he says. Many years ago, Chicago School of Divinity had a special guest lecturer come in. It was to a brown bag lunchtime symposium. And this particular person's lecture focused on disproving that Jesus was the Son of God. For the better part of an hour, he tried to make a case that Jesus really didn't die and that he never rose from the grave, that it was all a lie. At the end of the presentation, there was time given for question and answers. And in the back of the room, there was an older gentleman who raised his hand and said, I have a question. And as he asked that question, he reached into his lunch bag and took out an apple and took a big bite. He says, now I don't know all about the historians you've quoted. And he took another bite of his apple. And he says, I don't know all the languages that you know. And he took another bite of his apple. And he says, I don't know about all the arguments you know. And he took another bite from his apple. But I have a question for you, sir. This apple that I'm holding... Is it bitter or is it sweet? The lecturer replied, Well, I'm sorry, sir, I can't give you my answer because I haven't tasted your apple. And the old man replied, Exactly. And with all due respect, sir, you haven't tasted my Jesus either. You know, friends, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And what that is getting at is truth is discovered not only by studying the evidence of the past, it is also by tasting or having a friendship with Jesus in the present. And so, as I've said before, By all means, seek the truth. Bring your questions to God. Find the answers. But remember, that will only take you so far. You need to taste. You need to experience God, and that is going to require facing those things that are keeping you from fully trusting God. Some of you are avoiding God or you're keeping God at a safe, comfortable distance, not because you lack the evidence, but because of pride. Face it, it's because of pride. You know, what will my spouse think? What will my children think? What will the guys at work think if I was to become religious or put my faith in Jesus? Some of you are avoiding God because you want to be in control. You don't want anyone, including God, messing with your life. And for others of you, the issue is another Christian. Someone that you've looked up to and admired, perhaps. And somewhere along the way, that person failed you, disappointed, or hurt you. And it has caused you to pull away from Christ and his church. Make no mistake. You can do with your life as you please. But I'm just asking you, is it really more evidence that you need? Or is there a dark place in the corner of your heart that's just keeping you from really being open to what you know is true, what you know God is saying to you? and preventing you from putting your trust completely in Jesus Christ, and tasting what it means to daily walk with him as a friend. And So I ask you, as I have asked many times as we've gone through this series, what will you do with Jesus? From my perspective, it's too an important question to ignore. Because if the Bible is true, and I believe to the core of my being, it is. If it's true, then ignoring Jesus and the truth of the scriptures will not only mean that you are going to miss God's very best for you in this life. but it is going to impact where you spend your eternity. And folks, that is no small matter. That deserves your full attention. Would you please stand for closing prayer? going to ask our prayer partners to make their way forward right now. Just come right up here at the very front. Prayer partners at other campuses, same thing. Just go to the front of your campus right now. And we're going to ask the Lord the two questions we become accustomed to asking here in our church. And that is, Lord, what are you saying to me? through what I've just heard, through what I've just received, what are you saying to me? And Lord, what is it that you're asking me to do about it? What is the step you're calling me to take? What's a promise you're calling me to embrace? A lie you're calling me to renounce and to release? Take a moment right now and allow God to speak to you. If you feel something in you prompting you to make your peace with God, to put your trust in Jesus, or if you'd like to talk with someone about a question that you're just really grappling with, or if you have someone that's just on your heart that you'd like prayer for, or if there's something within you that you know what you have to deal with. It might be a hurt. It might be a fear. It might be an issue of pride in your life. These prayer partners would love to talk with you and pray with you before you go. Please don't leave until you've had the opportunity to share and pray with someone about something that you sense God is asking you to deal with. Those online, you can indicate that on the chat. We have people prepared to talk with you and pray with you as well. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for revealing yourself through Jesus, the living word, and also for revealing yourself through the written word, the Bible. You have given us the scriptures, Lord, not only to help us understand who you are and how much you love and care for us, but also how we can come to know you, our Lord, Savior, and King. Thank you, Lord, for the evidence that you've provided for the validity of the Bible. Thank you for the stones that cry out and testify to the truth of your word. I pray that you would help all of us realize in a new way that if we ignore your word, we risk not only missing out on what you have ordained for our lives, but we also risk having to endure a lot of heartache, frustration, and despair in this life. Not to mention eternal separation from you in the next life. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone here who is resisting the truth right now. I pray for anyone who's avoiding you and the Bible because they don't want to face the truth, not only about who you are, but they don't want to face the truth about who they really are. I pray you will help them, Lord, to see that you did not send Jesus you did not give us the bible to make our life miserable no lord you gave us jesus to make our life full and complete and i pray that you will create in each person here a deep hunger for you a thirst for your truth and for those who are resisting you i pray lord that they will experience non-ending restlessness until they find their rest in you. And finally, Lord, I pray for those of us who fully embrace you as, and your word by faith. Lord, may we have a renewed hunger to read it, to meditate on it, and to live it out faithfully in our lives, I pray, to the glory of God and for the sake of a world who, who just desperately needs the Jesus that we know and love. For we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, be sure to seek out one of our prayer partners here before you go. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.